Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. And those who are going to Little Worship, y'all can be dismissed at this time. And as, as we're transitioning, they're heading out. Uh, feel free to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Luke 17, 20 through 37. You know, when Jesus uh, was asked when he would return, you know, we just confessed in the Apostles' Creed that we believe that one day uh, Jesus is going to come again, right? He's going to come again and fully consummate his kingdom, his perfect rule, make everything sad come untrue. When Jesus was asked when, when would that happen, in Matthew, Jesus said, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father only knows, Okay. But just because Jesus said that has, has not stopped countless people from getting out their Bibles and their calculators and their really creative imaginations and saying, well, Jesus and the angels may not know, but I do. And, and like a snake oil salesman, they have prayed on the broken and they've led many, many, many astray. And so over the centuries, I mean, this has happened countless. There's a whole Wikipedia entry of like, psh, you just keep scrolling of all the times uh, people have claimed to know when this is happening. Uh, here's just a few. In 960 AD, Bernard of Thuringia, sorry, a German theologian, he calculated that the world would end in 992 AD. Okay. Uh, in the 1500s, uh, I don't know what it is about Germans, the German astrologer uh, Johann uh, Stoffler said that there was going to be a cataclysmic flood on February 20th, 1524, and people who, you know, read their Bibles know what you do when there's going to be a cataclysmic flood, right? Uh, you start building an ark, and so lots and lots of people in the Germany area started building arks, and uh, there was even this one occasion where one man was even trampled to death by a mob of people trying to enter one of these, these arks. Well, that date came and went, and so Stoffler revised his prediction and said, oh, I, I meant to say 1588 which, uh, shocker, also came and went without a cataclysmic flood. In 1816, a farmer and then a soldier named William Miller converted to Christianity, and allegedly he studied the books of Daniel and Revelation for 14 years before uh, claiming that he had uncovered or unlocked the key, or uncovered the key to Daniel's prophecies. Uh, so Miller said, mark my words, the, the second coming of Christ is going to be within one year of March 21st, 1843. And so he wrote tons of books and tons of people like left their Baptist churches and Methodist churches and yes, even Presbyterian churches to follow his, what they called Adventist preaching, right? The, the second coming, the Advent. Well, 1843 came and went. And so Miller recalculated and said October 22nd, 1844 would be the day. And that day also came and went. And so all of his followers, I mean, they were really hoping for this. They, they were so grieved that this became a major event in American history called the Great Disappointment. And as a result of the Great Disappointment, a lot of his followers went back to their, their old churches. But a few stayed, and the few that stayed under Miller would go on to form the beginnings of what we would call today the Seventh Adventist um, Church, okay? Well, Charles Taz Russell was also heavily influenced by Miller 
William Miller, and after studying Miller's teaching and the Bible, and then he went and studied the mystical message of the Great Pyramid, he concluded that Miller was right, that Jesus had returned, but just nobody realized it. It wasn't a, a visible return. And he said that in 1878, all believers would finally be resurrected. When that didn't happen, uh, he started distancing himself from Miller's teachings, and he founded his own group of people that would then go on to become what we would call today the Jehovah's Witnesses. And he taught that the people had until 1914 to enter his faith, or they would be annihilated, destroyed. And when that year came and went, he modified his prediction to very, to like very soon after 1914. Well, the witnesses have continued his legacy of re-upping and re-upping the predictions. You know, Pat Robertson predicted 1982 and then 2007. Harold Camping, we probably know him. He, he gets the Perseverance Award. He predicted September 6, 1994, September 29, 1994, October 2, 1994, March 31, 1995, May 21, 2011, and then finally October 21, 2011. And this isn't even to mention people like Jerry Falwell and Tim LaHaye or Jerry B. Jenkins or John Heggie or Kent Hovind, right? Um, regardless, I, I, I hope we get, we get the point, right? Lots of people have gained fame and fortune and followers by claiming to know what Jesus said cannot be known by men. And so unspeakable harm and abuse has been doled out on the church and on Christians who, who have been caught up in these predictions. And so just an encouragement th th this morning, I, I, I want to plead with you, that the next time someone comes on the news claiming to have gained secret knowledge and predicting the date, just put your ears in your finger, or put your finger in your ears. Put your, put, your, put your finger in your ears and follow what Jesus said, which we're about to find out is do not go out or follow them, okay? Because as we're going to see this morning, Jesus' teaching on the topic is really all we need. And so with that, let's, let's go now, uh, not to the word of man, but to the very inspired word of God. And see what we can know. So this is Luke 17, starting with verse 20. Well, being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them. He said, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Jesus said to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. And you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Don't go out, follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Well, just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. Remember, they were eating and drinking and marrying and, and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking and buying, selling, planting, and building. But on that day when Lot went out of, from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven, destroyed them all. So it will be on that day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. 
I tell you, in that night, there will be two in one bed, and one will be taken and one left. And there will be two women grinding meal together. One will be taken, the other left. And they said to Jesus, well, where, Lord? Where, where are they going to be taken? And Jesus said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. This is God's word. Let's pray. Uh, Fathers, we uh, draw our attentions to this. We ask that you, through your spirit, would come, uh, illuminate, make clear uh, this passage. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would hide it in our hearts. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So I've talked about probably, probably way too much. Um, I've, you know, trying to go to Sephora to get some perfume for Annie. And if y'all ever done that, it's like a Herculean task, right? You, you go in there because all the perfumes just smell the same. It all smells like the store, right? The whole store is just like this one conglomeration of, of perfumes. And so if you've been in there, you know that I mean, this may be like Bath and Body Works. I'm not sure. I don't go in that place. But um, they've got these, these coffee beans, very intense coffee beans. You can sniff, and it, it's an attempt to clear the palate, right, to reset the senses so that you can actually smell that one perfume that you're trying to smell. Okay. That's one of the, isn't that one of the many reasons we, we love God's word? Not only is it because in this world where everything's new and everything's flashy, you go to God's word and you get ancient wisdom. But, but that's what God's word is, is in a wild and wacky world, it is a strong whiff of coffee beans, right? It, it resets us and reminds us, oh yeah, this is what is truly good and true and beautiful. It resets us to the fact <laughs> that the cotton candy messaging that is so often found in American Christianity of believe in Jesus and you will be happy, healthy, and living your best life now, it just isn't there. You don't really find that in the Bible. No, Jesus said in this life we will have trouble, right? Uh, Jesus said um, because of the fall we're to expect suffering, we're to expect pain, and we're not supposed to be surprised when trials come into our life. And that's why I love verse 22, because Jesus looked at his disciples, he looked at his followers, and he said, days are coming. You remember that song, Mama said there'd be days like this, right? Well, Jesus said there'd be days like this. He said there are going to be days like this, there are going to be times in your life when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man. That's Bible, that's kind of Bible speak for there's coming a day in the life of every single follower, every single one of us who are following Jesus, there's going to be a day where we get to the point where we say, I can't take it anymore. Like, I cannot take this anymore. The suffering of life in this fallen world, the pain, the fallout from our own sin, right? the, the injustice experienced and, and witnessed in this life will have us crying out what John said at the very end of Revelation, right? It's, Come, Lord Jesus, come. Jesus, if you could just kind of come back now, shatter the teeth of the wicked, if, if you could come and dispense justice and bring your full kingdom reign here now, like that, that'd be pretty good. If you've ever longed for that, Jesus says you're on the right track, okay? And if you haven't longed for that, just wait. At, at some point in your life, you will. You know, it's been said that as far as literary um, literature is involved, it's been said that tragedies, you know, stories that are tragedies usually end in murder or misery, right? But comedies, comedies end with a wedding. It's this great feast, this great joy. Although this life 
may feel tragic. The Bible, he says, you read it, the Bible ends with a wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so if, if you are in Jesus, uh, your ultimate story isn't a tragedy. Um, it's a comedy. <laughs> Not that it's a joke, but that it ends in joy. This is what uh, Tolkien termed a eucatastrophe. It's, it's an unexpected ending or an unexpected happy ending achieved by grace rather than effort. And so we, we look at those promises found in Revelation. We know that day is coming, but until that day comes, what can we know about that today? Well, first, Jesus says that when Jesus returns, when he returns, it's going to be obvious and it's going to be sudden. Obvious and sudden. Verse 24, for as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side of the sky to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. In other words, it's not going to be one of those things where <laughs> Jesus returned, it happened, and, no, and we didn't know about it. Uh, we won't be like the founder uh, of the Jehovah's Witnesses who said, Jesus came back, but we just didn't, we didn't realize it. No, like you won't need anyone telling you Jesus returned. It is going to be obvious. You will know it. Okay? But then, when it came to talk about the, the suddenness of Jesus' return, Jesus reached way back into the Old Testament to these two major events. Uh, one, the ancient flood, and then he talks about Lot and Lot's wife. And so think of it this way. You know, in one way, <laughs> the flood didn't sneak up on anybody, did it? I mean, like Noah spent decades upon decades uh, upon decades of his life building that ark. It was just like a huge wooden box. And it, and it was only good for one thing. Like it wasn't an addition for his house. Uh, this wasn't Noah's man cave where he could put all his, mount all his deer in there, right? Um, no, this with, it, it was good for one thing, to float. It can just float when a lot of water comes. And with every swing of his hammer rang out this message that judgment was coming. Repent. And all the while, of course, they, they weren't close to the ocean. I mean, it wasn't really raining. And so Noah's neighbors, they just went on with life, life as usual. They planned the weddings and they planned parties and they planned their careers. And like they lived as if they had their whole lives ahead of them. And when the flood came, none of them were ready. Um... You know, we, this is in my notes, I gotta be careful when I go off notes. Um, you know, thinking about the, you know, what happened with the Arants over in Cleveland, right? And I've heard a lot of farmers saying, man, that could have happened to me a hundred times. Um, like just in a flash, right? Um, you know, not only could Jesus return, but our life could end. That our life truly is a vapor, like it truly is that fragile. And yet we live as if we're going to live forever. You know, one of the most tragic floods in American history, if you remember, was the, the Jonestown flood, right, 1889. And what, what made that particular flood so tragic was that it happened so suddenly. You know, no one knew that just several days of heavy rain had caused the South Fork Dam to catastrophically fail. And once that dam failed, historians say that, that 60, or it took 65 minutes for that entire lake to just empty sending over 14 million cubic meters of water careening down the valley. And it was sudden and unexpected because Jonestown, they're like 14 miles away from the lake. Literally one minute, they were just going about their life in town. You know, they went out to eat, they're, they're going to buy something. Uh, the next minute, the town was, was literally swept away in the flood. 
killing 2,200 people, just like that. When the same way Jesus is saying when the end approaches, it's going to be life as usual. You're going to be, you know, brushing your teeth and getting ready for work or going to school. You're going to be, you know, maybe even planning what you're going to do next weekend. And yet in a flash, like in the blink of an eye, while people are sitting down to eat, while people are walking their dog, watching TV, Jesus will return. So Jesus is saying, y'all, don't make the mistake of thinking that you always have time. Like, don't fail to prepare for his return and then in the end get swept away. And it's the same right with Sodom. You know, even to this day, Sodom's sins are infamous. Uh, it's the sins of injustice and inhospitality and then immorality, right? And so day after day, the Sodomites, they just kept on living their life. They kept on sinning. They kept on living and eating and drinking and buying and selling and planning and building, never imagining that judgment was coming. And as fire fell from heaven, they were still whining and dining. And they were still striking up business deals and building new construction only to suddenly perish. And so the point Jesus is making is the way to have a ready life is don't wait until tomorrow to be ready. If you wait till tomorrow, you're too late. Hebrews says today, right? Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. And so what that means is that if, if something happens and the Spirit is convicting you, or maybe there's something about the gospel that you hear and you're like, that's good. Like, that's the Spirit wooing you in. Respond to that. Like, experience God's kindness which leads you to repentance, and then run to Jesus while you still have now, okay? And talk about a palate cleanser. Not that it's, of course, anything wrong with possessions or enjoying the good gifts that God has given us. Just, they're just, it's common grace of God. There's nothing wrong with that. But sometimes, as Jesus continually teaches us, sometimes our possessions start possessing us, right? And life no longer becomes about giving or glorifying God, but it's more about accumulating stuff. And they distract us from ultimate reality. And so Jesus says when he returns, you're not going to be thinking about your stuff, right? And it's like one of those things, like if you've ever had a major diagnosis just thrown on you by your physician, you're not thinking about any of your stuff. Like all your other problems are like, that's way on the back Jesus is saying that when he returns, you're not going to be thinking about any of the stuff that you worked so hard to get. Uh, you won't have time to. And so it's nothing against stuff. It's just don't let your pursuit of stuff choke out your pursuit of your Savior. Your stuff is momentary, flash in the pan. Salvation is eternal. And so to this, Jesus says, part of being ready is remembering Lot's wife. Remember Lot's wife? Y'all remember that crazy story, right, we learned as kids that, you know, Lot and his family, they're fleeing from Sodom, right? And and Lot, they're all, they're all running away, but Lot's wife stopped, and she looked back. And, and what, happened, what happened to Lot's wife? She, she didn't make it, did she? she? She was destroyed. And I don't know about you, that's always kind of bothered me, right? It's like all she did was look back. Why, why destroy her, Lord? But here Jesus is giving us a little more context of why she was in that situation. Lot's wife wasn't destroyed simply because she, of where she looked, but rather because of what she loved, right? You know, what we love drives our life. As Phil Riken notes, when she looked back on the burning wreckage of Sodom, she looked back longingly on everything the world had to offer, the security of family, 
the pleasures of sin. Remember, we've never met a sin we haven't liked, right? It's the approval of neighbors who knew what, what they would call how to have a, a good time. That was her fatal attraction. That God had shown her the way of salvation, but her heart still turned back and still longed for Sodom. And so the cares of the world just, just choked out the word. And like Demas, right, she deserted in love of the world. And so Jesus tells us to remember her, remember Lot's wife, because it truly is one of the saddest stories in the whole Bible. As Charles Spurgeon said, she was almost saved, but not quite. So Jesus is saying we can't straddle the fence here with this. Like you, when it comes to the ready life, you're either all in or you're all out. Whoever loses their life in Christ will keep their life forever. So the return is, is going to be obvious. You're, you're not going to need CNN or Fox News or your whatever media to tell you. It's going to be obvious, and it will be sudden. So a ready life does not put off soul care until tomorrow. It does it now. But then uh, second, Jesus tells us that on that day when he returns, there's, there's going to be this separation that happens, this, as C.S. Lewis calls it, this great divorce. Um, Jesus gives us two pictures, one of a married couple in bed, it's the most tender of unions, right? There's no telling how many nights, years they've, they've spent together in the same bed. But in a flash, one will be taken and, and one's, one remains. And then the others of these two ladies, of course, given the, the cultural customs, likely a mother and a daughter uh, at the, the mill, uh, grinding mill together. And yet when Jesus returns, one's taken away, one, one remains. And talk about a passage that really hurts, right? It's this, this intimate, familial you know, love that's here. But Jesus is trying to tell us that evangelism truly matters, right? That discipleship really matters. That part of being a Jesus follower is reminding our spouses about the gospel, pointing them to Jesus. And it's the same for parenting, right? It's, it's of course, like get your kids ready for the ball game. Get your kids ready for the test. Prepare them to leave the house and go to college or, or join the workforce. But above all else, get them ready to meet Jesus. And, you know, I talk a lot about the punk rock spirit required to actually be a follower of Jesus in this world. But the punk rock spirit is it's required. Because if we just go with the culture, this will not, this will not happen. Okay? Uh, other things will form our children. And so place yourself and your kids in the path of grace while you still have today. By the way, I think we've talked about this before, but scholars have been all over the map about all right, who's taken away and is it the believer or the unbeliever who's left behind? Many, for a long time, have thought that it was the believers who will be swept away and the unbelievers left behind, hence you know, those, those novels, the Left Behind series. But if, if you take the context of being swept away uh, and taken away with a flood, the context of the, the fact that the unbelievers will be taken to a place where the vultures gather, couple that with the fact that the highest hope of the Christian isn't to escape this world, but to enjoy a renewed world, the new heavens, the new earth. Um, the case could be made that believers are the ones left behind. You know, as the Beatitudes say that the meek will inherit the earth. And so I suppose what one day we'll find out, right? But I, I'm just saying this, don't freak out if like something happens and you're left behind, okay? Just don't, like, it, it may be, you may be where you need to be, 
okay? Um, and so you know, you may be thinking, look, this is, okay, great. We're talking about the future, whatever that means. But what does this mean today? Like, what does this mean for us, year 2023? What does the ready lo life look like today? Well, that's a good question. Very briefly, um, let's talk about that as we close. So when it comes to the kingdom of God, we, we know that it's not, it's not fully consummated, right, it's yet, and it won't be until Jesus returns, and yet at the same time, when Jesus came, uh, you know, his, his life, death, and resurrection, um, with that, he did inaugurate his kingdom, that the kingdom of God is already here. Uh, Graham's Goldworthy de defines the kingdom of God as God's, God's people, God's place, God's rule. Um, so Jesus came, he inaugurated his kingdom. And just as Jesus has said, the kingdom is like a mustard seed. It starts small and then it, it grows and expands. We're still maybe in that mustard seed stage at this point. But from that day forward, he provided in his kingdom the, the way that is good and true and beautiful. That if we are in him, because of what he did on the cross, Jesus bestows upon us the love and the forgiveness and hope that will not let us go. And he takes us sinners as we are, and he actually calls you a citizen of his kingdom. That he is our king and we are his people. And because of him, not only do we live beneath his good rule, but we also live beneath the face of our gracious father. And so the best way to be ready for his return in the future then is just by living within his gracious reign today, right? It's not fancy. Because Jesus saved us, we, we live for him, for his glory. It's just that simple. And so we go out and we cut our grass, right? Because we want to make the kingdom beautiful for our coming king, right? We do our jobs, we raise our kids, we play with our grandkids, we talk to our neighbors, we seek to be a force for good, not for our sake, but for the kingdom's sake. And so we pursue holiness because our King Jesus is holy. And so it's just mundane faithfulness, mundane faithfulness with the things that God has given us, all the while resting in his promise that he, would, that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion right that he's going to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus in other words if you are in Jesus God will personally see to it that you are prepared that he will give you the ready life amen amen well, let me pray for us oh father may this not have just been this weird thing where some some guy stands and talks and we just kind of try to listen um, but Lord really make this word penetrate our hearts uh, Lord that as we wait upon this sudden arrival uh, Lord may we live beneath your reign today and Lord may we strive to give our king glory today so Father may may everything that we hope and, and we long for in the future may it affect everything about our our lives right this second so we ask that your grace would come and, Lord, that you would go after hard, stubborn hearts. And, Lord, that you would show us the beauty of, of Jesus. And, Lord, that you would go after hearts that are just doubtful or broken. And, Lord, that you would lift them up. And, Lord, I ask that the gospel would just go after every single person here, wherever they are, and bring them back home. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.
Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.